Welcome to the Couch in the Woods podcast. I'm Davis. Today we're going to be talking the Appalachian Trail. You know what's funny is my Uncle Jerry actually wants me and my dad and him to do a walk on the Appalachian Trail. And I, I don't know, for some reason that didn't really interest me. But after after getting into a walk in the woods by Bill Bryson a little bit, it's it's kind of starting to pique my interest. So, yeah, let's just jump right into it. Bill Bryson has moved to... New Hampshire, and one day he stumbles across a trailhead that leads into the Appalachian Trail. Pretty funny that that's pretty close to him, but this is essentially what sets him off on wanting to go on this big journey of hiking the Appalachian Trail. So he sits down, he talks to his wife, tell her she wants to go walk the Appalachian Trail. That's one of the first steps. He's he's come up with that plan that he wants to do it, he knows he wants to do it, but going forward... What's the next concrete steps he has to take? Well, in terms of full-on commitmental concrete steps, first he has to go by gear. Now, coming from a Boy Scout, that can be quite a hassle, especially when you got pushy salesmen working on commission, and he seems to have found himself one of the pushiest salesmen around. He basically goes to the Dartmouth Outdoor Supplier, which is basically the New Hampshire version of REI, which if anyone knows, REI stands for really expensive items. So if you've ever been to an REI, you know there is so much stuff there. You got backpacks, you got stoves, you got, you know, anything you could ever need. But if you're like me, you maybe know a little bit about camping, you've gone camping a few times, but you're not really sure what to buy. You don't know what the best gear is. You don't know where to find it. That's why you find someone to help you out. But unfortunately, most of the people helping you out, they'll be working on commission. And Bill Bryson covers it pretty well. He covers it really well, saying, well, you buy this $300 pack, but then you got to buy the $20 rain cover that goes with the $300 pack. Oh, you want the the food? Well, you're going to have to get the bag that goes with the food. Oh, you got this nice, really expensive sleeping bag. Well, now you got to get a stuff sack for the sleeping bag. So I, I think he covers that pretty well. That's that's pretty accurate. Going forward. Um, while he's at the store, he also picks up this, uh, he picks up a few books, which seems kind of strange, you know. I, I guess if you were going to take a trip, you should read a few travel books on it, but he does pick up one book that uh, I think uh, I would love, and I know a, a fellow by the name of Dwight K. Schrute would love. Uh, he t- picks up a book about bears. I forget the exact name of it, but it's something about bear attacks, why they happen, and how to prevent it. Now, if you know anything about bears, they're the best type of bear is a grizzly bear. And that's what he reads about a lot, but lucky for him, you don't find them out there much. They, they mostly stay east, eastward. Not eastward, westward, given my directions mixed around, but they mostly stay westward, west of the Mississippi. <laughs> His big worry is going to be black bears, and he's reading all these crazy stories about bear attacks, people getting mauled. <sighs> but you know, the one thing they teach him is do not try to climb, because bears can climb faster than they can run. And if there's anything I learned, it's Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. But on a more serious note, I wonder where the line is between being prepared 
which it's always good to be prepared, know what you're going to be up against, know what you're going to be facing. But where does it become paranoid? You know, he's learning so much, which is awesome. But it's also going to be restricting him a little bit. See, now he's more tentative about it. Now he's going to be so worried about bears that he may not be able to enjoy the beauty that's around him. I mean, there's there's no real defense against bears. Ish. Um, Magnum Research Company invented the 500 Magnum, which is a large handheld round. The Magnum 500 was developed for park rangers in Yellowstone in case they ever came across a bear and had to put it down. But uh, other than that, really, the book suggested make loud noises. But then in another page, it says maybe don't make loud noises because that might just antagonize the bear and make it angry. But, um, you know, I found that interesting. I really did. So he's so obsessed with these bear attacks and everything that I think it might distract him from the beauty that's around him. He practices setting up his tent, which... I don't know, I always thought tents were pretty self-explanatory, but better to be prepared, like I said. At least he's not getting paranoid about the tent setup. But yeah, he sets it up in his basement, and he he thinks it has a weird smell, which, as someone who has slept in a tent, a good, easy, 172 times, it does have a pretty weird smell. You got that weird kind of mildew smell, but you don't see any mildew. But yeah, it it always smells damp for some reason. But either way. So yeah, moving forward, he's talking about that. And he goes to the store where his son works. And his son is like, Dad, please do not embarrass me. Well, about 20 minutes into the process of picking out a new bag, he's yelling about how expensive it is. And oh my goodness, the son is just so embarrassed. But, uh, yeah, so he, he goes into the history of the Appalachian Trail a lot, which I think is pretty interesting how many times it has been changed. The Appalachian Trail is such a, I'm not sure the word I'm looking for. It's such a, always changing, I'll, I'll just say, it's such an always changing piece of our history. And it's always, always moving around. They, uh, they're finding out new ways to move it so that it's farther away from civilization. That's another big thing about the Appalachian Trail. It is all about immersion. Immersing yourself in nature, being as far away from civilization as possible. Although they do kind of stop around in civilization a lot, which I find strange. But either way. So um, another thing Bill Bryson wants to look at is companionship. Uh, companionship can be important, but... You know, sometimes solitude is better. For example, uh, I know that personally, uh, when I first joined scouting, when I was about 13 years old, I loved camping with other kids. I loved sharing a tent with other kids. It's that nice feeling of companionship. You know, we're in it together. But as I've grown up and grown older, it's like, what are you doing? Get away from my tent. No, go to sleep. But... You know, it's all about that companionship, and that especially applies to Bill. And so, basically, he's he's trying to he's trying to find someone that wants to come with him. So when he sends out his Christmas cards, he kind of hints at him a little bit. Hey, nudge, nudge. Anyone want to go hiking with me? Maybe. At first, it doesn't seem like anyone wants to, and he's 
he's starting to get pretty upset about that. But then eventually, two months later, he gets a response from an old friend of his. And we come to find out later that him and this old friend have some history together. Apparently they went on a trip through Europe or something. I don't know. Kids love doing that. You know, these 20-year-old kids. I'm going to backpack through Europe. Well, yep, we'll see how that goes. But basically, him and this guy, Katz, have some history together backpacking through Europe. And um, it, it it didn't end very well, apparently. According to his wife, uh, he, he happened to uh, bug Bill Bryson a little bit, which I find funny considering he's about to go on a 2,100-mile hike with him. So, either way... But yeah, I thought I heard something. Um, either, either way, he uh, he gets in contact with this guy Katz. He's talking to him over the phone, and they're setting up time to meet. And eventually, Katz says, "Hey, are you sure you're okay with me coming?" And Bill is wondering why he wouldn't be. But then, Katz drops the bomb of, "Well, I thought you would be mad that I still owe you six hundred dollars." That's a lot of money. That's a lot of gear, too. You can buy a lot of gear with that. But, uh, you know, I guess it comes down to... Let, let's talk about companionship. What is the price of companionship? Apparently, to Bill Bryson, it's somewhere around the, the realm of $600, seeing as that's what he decided to forget about in terms of having a companion with him. So, either way, about a week after that, they're together at last. And to Bill Bryson's surprise, Katz is a little out of shape, which unfortunately it happens to the best of us. I know I love some Dunkin' Donuts, but this guy really loves Dunkin' Donuts. He's not even off the airplane yet, and he's asking, hey, can we, can we go to Dunkin' Donuts? And Bill seems pretty curious about this. And then he drops the big bong of... Well, if I don't eat every hour, I'm going to have seizures. That seems like the kind of thing you tell someone before you fly out for a 2,100-mile hike. But either way, I'm not... I mean, I, I, I guess you could do it. It is theoretically possible. Lots of stops. Lots of ways to stop. Have a quick bite to eat. But, uh, yeah. Um, he's He's pretty overweight. Apparently, he's winded from the walk from the airplane to the tarmac, which I, I find pretty funny. I'm trying to picture cats right now, and I'm, I'm picturing a guy about my size, but maybe a little shorter. But either way, going on, price of companionship, I don't know. I don't know what I'd say the price of companionship is, but once more to Bill Bryson, it seems like it's somewhere around that $600 mark. So, after a night of resting, lots of resting apparently, Katz loves to rest. After a night of resting, they head back out and they go to the store to buy some gear. They get Katz kitted up with some gear, then they go off to the store to buy some food. My oh my, Katz just filled the cart. It goes on for a few minutes talking about all the stuff Katz was buying. He was putting a, he was, he was really stocking up. He was buying a, a horseshoe shaped thing of baloney when Bill Bryson finally bursts his bubble. Hey man, I don't think we're going to be able to fit all this. So he goes on 
and they fix that. They they retry about twice before they finally get what they think is a good amount of gear and supplies. And you have to have a proper a ratio between gear and food. Uh, I never went, but I was supposed to be going on a long 70-mile hike through the mountains of New Mexico. And uh, while I never went on the actual hike, I went on all the practice hikes and uh, I learned all the packing methods. By the end, I was able to get my pack weight down to 45 pounds and I was the one carrying all the food. So with the perfect amount of packing and the right discipline when it comes to packing, you can do very well, but apparently packing discipline is not something that Cats has. But either way, they uh, they go back home to pack. Bill Bryson goes down to his basement. Cats goes upstairs. Bill's packing. He's trying. I think it says he repacks like two or three times, which, yeah, I know the feeling. When I was, uh, like I said, when I was about 13, when I was a scout, uh, I know, I definitely know the feeling of having to repack. That's that's not a fun feeling. But eventually he gets it. He had to leave a few things behind, including the nasty-looking little Debbie cakes. I don't even want to think about what those would have looked like making it halfway down the trail, you know? They'd probably be squashed beyond all recognition. So probably a better thing that he leaves those there. He goes upstairs to check on Cats, see how he's doing, and... Well, what is Cat's doing? He's laying in bed listening to his Walkman, which that cannot be too reassuring, especially when considering that in about less than 24 hours, they're about to embark on the like one of the larger walking trails in the U.S. Uh, I believe it says uh, that it is no longer the, the biggest, but it's still the most renowned and most famous hiking trail. But that's neither here nor there. Going on, eventually he does get cats to start packing. It sounded like he was packing at 12 o'clock apparently as he heard all this shuffling around and everything like that. But he gets him to pack. And then, well, they set off the next morning. They're on their way to the airport. Bill Bryson's wife gives him a good hug, good kiss goodbye. And uh, a little gift from her and the kids. Um, he said it was quite a little, not exactly the sturdiest walking stick ever, but still he appreciates the gesture. And, uh, you know, he says he wished he could just jump back in that car and go straight home, but he knew he had to do this. So he does. He goes and the TSA guy is checking their tickets and, you know, doing all the pointless stuff TSA does that doesn't help us at all. And then the TSA guy, you know, poking his nose in everybody's business, trying to waste time, asked him if they're hiking the Appalachian Trail. And Cats, being really excited for some reason, goes, yeah, of course we are. And Kat, uh, the man's talking about, well, look out for wolves. Wait, wolves? Uh, I thought there was just bears. Nope. Spent all that time worrying about bears just to learn that right now wolf attacks are the big new thing. And Cat seems pretty upset by this. And the TSA agent is pretty interested in Cats. He, he pulls him in pretty close and whispers, Hey, between you and me, 
you look good. You look tasty. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if this was the TSA agent trying to make a move on cats or whatever, but maybe it was just friendly advice. But uh, it, it doesn't set cats off for a, for a really good time. He, he goes into that pretty nervous. But, um, yeah. Uh, then it goes into a really, really long history of the, the trails. There were two men. I don't, I can't remember the names right now. I'll look it up. But basically these two men, they both worked on the trail and had a big falling out over some big project, big, uh, a big highway project that one of them wanted to cut through the trail so that it could get some good scenery. And the other one thought it totally undermined the, uh, it totally undermined the whole point of the Appalachian Trail. But, uh, yeah, so basically these two men had a big falling out, but the cool thing about the Appalachian Trail is that it was done almost entirely in volunteer work up until, like, 1930 that, uh, it was, it was done through volunteers, and they did not hire their first salaried employee until 1961, and I have the names now, uh, it was Mr. McKay and Mr. Avery, these two men both worked on the trail, but really it was, it was McKay's trail, uh, Avery, Avery stuck around for a while, he lived to be 92, I believe, and, um, he was the one that would always show up at ribbon cuttings, and, you know, the ceremonial trail openings, but McKay, it really was him, in fact, he was the supervisor for hundreds and hundreds of miles of the path being built, he would supervise the building and the, the trail clearing and all of that. And by the end of it, he had walked every inch of that trail. And that that's something I think is really cool, the commitment to your work. So, But either way, they go on. They arrive in Atlanta where they meet a man that they had set up to take them to the lodge. And the, the man was doing it for pretty cheap. It was somewhere around $60. But... Uh, yeah, the man takes them out to the trailhead, uh, they stay in a lodge for the night, and, uh, he enjoys a nice shower, Bill Bryson enjoys a nice shower, and cats, who knows what he's doing, probably eating some Snickers, he loves his Snickers, but going on, he goes to bed, he gets a nice night of restless sleep and nervous vomiting, and then wakes up to see the weather report. 11 degrees that day. A record low. Gives him lots of happy feelings. He goes downstairs to have some breakfast. He sees Katz is already down there flirting with a waitress. Um, from what I remember, she's not exactly the most attractive gal. But then again, apparently Katz doesn't have the highest standards either. But yeah. They head off on the trail that morning. Katz really doesn't want to head off, but no, he does. Katz heads off with Bill Bryson in 11-degree weather off into the Appalachian Trail. And I remember Bill Bryson, He's he says he took that first step pretty, pretty ceremoniously. Kind of overdoing it, but, you know, I understand. It's a, it's a big moment, first step of the trail. But, yeah, they head off. They walk for a while, and the thing I find pretty cool is Bill Bryson talking about the hills. He's talking about the hills and how they're so relentless, and they're always going. 
And you never know when you're at the top of a hill until you're at the top of the hill. But it's amazing. He describes the top of the hill so well, talking about how you could look out for miles and see the trees. You could smell the crisp, piney, cold air up there. It sounded awesome. But, um, yeah, overcoming to see the, the amazing view above. Going forward, eventually they run into a woman named Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen is quite a character, as she's been described to us. Quite a character indeed. Uh, I believe one of the first nights she met them, she's asking them about their star signs, which I don't even think I know my star sign. So, what do they do? They kind of tease her a little bit, but, you know, I guess whatever they're going to do that makes them happy. But yeah. Eventually, it gets into them with some shenanigans trying to get rid of Mary Ellen. You know, I I, I guess that's kind of mean, but I know the feeling. I've tried to ditch kids on hikes on Boy Scout campouts. I definitely know the feeling. Uh, sometimes you got that first year tagging along with you. Yeah, I get it. I'm supposed to be the role model of a leader, but, you know, I just want some peace and quiet. And Mary Ellen definitely sounds like a first-year scout. But, uh, yeah. Eventually, they shake off Mary Ellen, and, you know, they make their way into Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Gatlinburg, Tennessee is quite a place. You have never seen a more touristy and tourist trap of a town than Gatlinburg. Take it from me. I've been there... I've been there a couple times, about three or four, and you will never see a larger concentration of moonshine stores than in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. See, Tennessee is pretty famous for its moonshine and the bootlegging history there, so, like, you know people are just going to eat that up. So they capitalize on that big time, but that that's besides the point. That's neither here nor there. Either way, big tourist town. Not many people actually live there full time. It's really just a seasonal thing. It's really popular around Thanksgiving, and the summer gets really popular. But, yeah, they're probably going there around, well, like it says, around the end of January. So it's probably not at its peak. But, you know, it's also not not thriving at that time. Uh, they go into Gatlinburg. They visit a few shops. If I remember correct, Katz had to buy some, some new shoelaces. So he stops off at a store, buys some shoelaces, and uh, Gatlinburg ends up being where they shake Mary Ellen, and they decide they're going to catch a cab, or, no, they didn't even take a cab, they ended up driving themselves to uh, Virginia, I believe, I believe it was Virginia, either way, they took a car and they drove themselves to skip a certain portion of the trail, which they knew would not be very good at that time of the year. So that takes away a little bit from the legitimacy of the trail they took, but either way, I'm really excited to see what adventures they get into next. Uh, I look forward to making another episode of this podcast. Until then, I will see you later. Keep on trailblazing.